All right, welcome back. Here we go. Let's, let's do this. H says, then they're clean of liability. So the hospital actually doesn't want to give you stuff that would save your life because the NIH is keeping it from you. Hang on, hang on. I, I know you want to talk. Hang on. The, the other thing. All right, check this out. Here we go. A negative reporting bias, and I think there is a number of instances that is uh, that support. You know, there's the classically there's a positive reporting bias that the right. negative studies never get published. Right. right. No, I'm here is the story. This is the opposite of your We're, classic p hacking story. Right. We have we have currently some pretty strong evidence that the script has been flipped. Yep. Which is. It is another data point. evidence of <laughs> some Let's rock and roll. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can. Here we go. Roll and tape. People aren't reporting in. In fact, when doctors report in, they are told, you know, don't don't report this. This wasn't. I mean, I we've had reports reversed from doctors. Well, without their consent, without the doctor's consent. So I mean, first of all, I don't want us to work too hard. Okay, there is something that goes on when we get into this space where the standards that are uh, set for what constitutes evidence are absurd in the context of science and the way science actually functions. What you did is perfectly defensible. Had you concluded simply from three people in your sphere that there was a problem, that wouldn't have been. Oh, no, that yeah, was, absolutely not. That was an observation. It, it was an observation. A hypothesis. The exactly. hypothesis is there's a problem with these vaccines, and if I look farther, that signal's not going to disappear. It's going to continue out as far as yes, I Yes, and, and, and when I looked at the Veris database, and I see, like, it's flatlined for all the, you know, 30 years that Veris has been around, and then it just spikes up. I mean, it's like a hockey stick. So maybe we should- And then it's like, should, how do you explain that? Maybe we should bring up that graphic. I'm um, sure. Um, so while you're- So what you see there, that number I know is not up to date. These are dead. Oh, no, 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 they're, they're way backlogged. And also- This is as of May 28th. It says 4,561, and there is, an, a, there is only two other years that even breaks 200. And all of a sudden, in 2021, vaccines have over almost, it's a very conservative estimate of deaths. It's conservative. And we can't calibrate how conservative it is. Uh, that's, correct. That's, that's crazy. That's a right key there. point. That is crazy. Issue. So can I kind Please. of peck at that a little yep. bit? Um, and I wanted to make sure that I was prepared before we had this. Prepare for this. Now he says some good stuff. You got to watch the whole thing, but for now, it's not humans. At the point that you have decided to do, do that, what you have done is you have said it is worth taking more risk in this case because of X. Just you so. certainly would not give it to people who get no benefit. If there's more risk, then the people who get no benefit really shouldn't be involved. In other words, people who have COVID should no not take, take, to take it. They shouldn't Kids should not take it. Kids shouldn't take it because they're actually fairly well protected. Yes. So this gets, this gets to my point that I, I've made in a couple other podcasts. Um, uh, risk, benefit. risk benefit ratio sounds very sciencey. But it needs to be and, calculated and it, for and the it can, it can be made sciency, and the standard process, which the uh, ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices of the CDC, has in place and uses with every other vaccine, is that there is a formal uh, calculation about quality-adjusted life years, which is the basis for the risk-benefit equation, and. Um, they make a determination based on standard cohort brackets, mm -hmm. okay, of which adolescence is one, pregnancy is another, infants is another, etc. Okay, El the the elderly, the immunocompromised are also special populations. So usually, the standard government practice is there's a formal evaluation of true risk benefit for each one of those cohorts, and it shifts. And by the way, risk benefit shifts over time as the incidence of the attack rate 
of the pathogen changes. Right. Less COVID right. cases. If there's no COVID and there's no benefit the, to the exactly. vaccine, no reason to take the risk. Right. So I would also point out, though, that in this case, you know, again, I respect not wanting to assume or infer intent. And I think that's wise because there are multiple ways you can get here. But somehow, both the numerator and the denominator appear to have been gamed, right? Because I would say they have been insufficiently documented so that what we have is almost worthless. Well, bam. Now, why the incompetence? Oh, if Gates Foundation wants to debate me on this, bring it on. If the WHO wants to debate me on this, bring it on. And I will show that they knew, and they're not telling people. Cliff Lane knew, and he's not changing the guidelines. You know, this this information is being suppressed, and it's it's unfair. It's but, but let's talk about the ivermectin report, because Tess Lowry yep. um, you know, created this report, and these guys did nothing. They sat back and said, well, Tess, it's not, it's not peer reviewed, so nobody's gonna peer review it, so we don't have to do anything. So Tess said, you know, these guys aren't doing anything with it, so I'm going to submit it to a journal. And she got it peer reviewed, and it's probably will be published tomorrow. In which case, all these people that said, well, ivermectin doesn't work, and, and I believe in evidence-based medicine, and I would talk to, to the top officials in India, and then uh, they would say, I believe in evidence-based medicine. I said, here's all the evidence. Blah, blah, blah. Here's the sy systematic review and meta-analysis that you need. That's the highest level of evidence. Look at the evidence. And he says, and the response is, well, the WHO, the WHO, and the NIH don't say so. I'm sorry, I'm not interested. And the, the evidence is overwhelming. And oh, there's those, no, there's no question. There's no question. And this is among the safest drugs that we have in our arsenal. So that's on the ivermectin story. Yep. Okay. But that's the sticker for me. And and I just got another report of a physician in Africa who had championed ivermectin, and then there was a regime change, and now he, she's being threatened with putting being put in jail. Um, there's all this pushback. You're about talking about Zimbabwe? Yeah. No, no, they, yeah, they, they, they change it. So, um, uh, th there is uh, active consequences of physicians prescribing this drug openly and speaking about it. And pharmacies won't, won't even fill the prescriptions. Um, and yet they're administering it as safe dose. So if it's being administered as safe dose and it's even marginally effective, there's no harm. Right. Well, there's, right. there's, there's, so, there's so that just there's, doesn't make there's, sense. There's something called a precautionary principle. This is really important. Okay. Yeah. There's a precautionary principle of medicine. And this is what they use for mask wearing because masks, which are mandated, they actually, they didn't even have a double-blind randomized control trial ever for, for mask wearing. You did the mandate, and then they did the, it couldn't be a double, couldn't be double-blind right. because, you know, you can't mask. do that. Right. Yeah. It has to be a randomized control trial. So they ran, there's one trial in Denmark. Guess what happened? Failed. No, it was not statistically significant difference whether you were wearing a mask or not. There was a slight benefit, but it wasn't statistically significant. So everybody would say, they'd always say, well, it's not, so we can't use it, you know, until it's proven because I don't want to do an unproven thing. And yet for mass, they say, oh, it's mandated. So and they do that on the precautionary principle. The precautionary principle says that, you know, as long as there are no downsides and there might be an upside, we do it because until we have better data. And they're ignoring that for fluvoxamine and ivermectin because they want to push the vaccine. So there's no alternative. Yeah, they've, they've reversed it on us. Yeah. They've, they've, so this is, the, this is the third anomaly, right? So the, the third anomaly here is that given a drug about which people claim the data is ambiguous, I don't believe it is. No, it's not at all. But... 23 studies, Suppose all it positive. Were, it wouldn't tell you not to administer it given how safe it is. So you've got a bunch of anomalies that say they don't want to collect data on the, uh, the hazard of the vaccines, right? They're administering the vaccines to people who get no benefit in spite of the fact that there's clearly an elevated risk based on the accelerated profile. And they don't want you to administer a drug that appears at worst to do no harm and at best potentially yeah, highly and, valuable. And, and, and let me tell you the story of fluvoxamine. Okay, because this really is... So fluvoxamine came out, it was published in JAMA. So done by fluvoxamine is an SSRI. It's an SSRI. And it, it penetrates the, the blood-brain barrier, which is great because people are, have this um, uh, uh, brain mental fog. brain fog. 
Yeah. Okay. And so unlike I've, ex- I've experienced it. Yeah. It's and real. unlike ivermectin, flumoxamine goes all the way to the brain and it calms the inflammation in the brain. And because it activates a sigma run receptor, which Francis Collins has written extensively about as saying this is really important. So we have this drug that Francis Collins says, yeah, I love the mechanism of action. We actually tried it. So in the trial had a hundred percent um, uh, effect in terms of no hospitalization for the 80 patients in that trial. And then what happened is that JAMA said, do not use, doctors, do not use, this is just a hypothesis. Despite the fact that everything leading up to that was all positive, all of the observational studies, everybody was saying there's a huge signal here, so you run it in a randomized <clears> trial <throat> and confirm it, and, and, and JAMA says, that's not just a hypothesis, don't use it. So there's this guy, Dr. David Sefto, and I'm on his podcast talking about, hey, the fluvoxamine, thing, uh, the trial got published in JAMA, 100% effect size. And so he says, oh, he had an outbreak at the racetrack the next day after, the, after my podcast. So he, he decided to ignore the advice from JAMA editors. Howard Bachner wrote, wrote that. He said, don't use this until it's proven in a clinical world, which violates the precautionary principle. Okay, so Seftel said, no, I'm gonna use this because it could save lives. And he gave it to 77, uh, 77 people opted to do that, including eight crossovers. So eight people failed the the no treatment group and said, hey, I want the drug. And in fact, everybody after the first two weeks wanted the drug because they could see the difference, right? They didn't have to look at p-values. They looked at one side, where people who are like, you know, stuck in bed, the mental fog, the other side, they took the fluvoxamine and in three days, people were like back to normal and they, were, they, they told Seth, oh, I wanna get back to work. Like, like okay. there's nothing wrong. So let's unpack that a little bit, okay? But wait, wait, okay. wait hang on, hang on. Let me just yep. finish the, the story because this is not the end of this. Okay, so all 77 patients who got the fluvoxamine, and it was 50 milligrams twice a day, most of the people got that dose, which is one third of the FDA dose, they recovered, they didn't have any long haul COVID symptoms uh, after two weeks, and they've never even developed any long haul COVID symptoms. So this is what I, what I call the miracle of the racetrack because the other matching group, they had a 12.5% hospitalization rate and one guy died. So when you look at the p-value of that symptom data, oh, the, the, so the long haul COVID symptoms, zero in the treatment group, 60% in the no treatment group, and you do a Fisher exact test and calculate the p-value, 10 to the minus 14. Okay, that's 10 orders of magnitude so what more that significant is, that what that than, means is than the, chances, the vaccines. The chances that this worked by accident are effectively zero. 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 So, okay, but, but what should have happened is that NIH should have said, I want to send an investigator down. I want to see if there was any bias. I want to see if there were any confounders. You know, uh, this is like the miracle drug that we've been looking for. They should have been... They should have so sent the entire I, staff I, down there. You, you they wanna, did nothing. You want to respond to this? I'd like to respond to this is one of many examples of where repurposed drug information is not being able to be processed and made available to the general public um, and to the scientific community. They're suppressing it. Because of journal editors. No, no, no. Look, both no, of no, these were I, published in peer-reviewed okay. journals, top editor's choice in peer-reviewed so journals. So that's, that's just a So, but here, here's the thing. We, we know what they're, they're going to the say. Yeah, the FDA said, well, it was quasi-randomized and people got right. to choose, but the, the sicker people chose to so this, take this the drug. Is, this is exactly what I was going to say. The fact is people do not understand how science works in a technical field like this. There is bias in the uh, in the test that you're talking about, but it happens to be conservative bias. Exactly. So the is, what it means is exactly. that what you saw is actually more Better than right. random. Because and the FDA said, no, we're rejecting it because it was quasi-randomized. So this, this again, is anomalous behavior. What- that's, that's the point I was trying to make, is that there's, we gotta, so if we're gonna get science-y, we got a lot of data points. And um, they're they're way past forming the line. All right, let's do this thing here. And um, they're hard to explain. Oh, look, hey, I got to tell you about my $2 million offer, Fred. You can, after the podcast, you can check it out. It's on trial site news. There's an article. I offered a million dollars if you could prove that the NIH got it right on ivermectin. I offer a million dollars if you can prove that the NIH got it right on fluvoxamine. And 
you have two ways to win. You can either show that the evidence is, um, that your hypothesis matches the evidence more closely than the alternative hypothesis of it working, okay? Or you can show that you're gonna save more lives by choosing what the NIH did. Because you know the NIH doesn't care about lives at all. They yeah. never make the lives uh, calculation in well, their recommendations. Let's not say they don't care about lives. I think they, they don't make. The, the, if you look at the recommendations, they never and, include and, and anything I, about I, the cost of life. And I wonder, cost, cost of life. Are we too far in the weeds right now? No, this is important, right? Well, because this is the everybody looks to the NIH for these guidance, and the NIH uses these academic principles of what is right instead of saving lives in a pandemic. I, that I, is absolutely wrong. Actually, actually, I would Bam! Let me skip this next part because the idea that people are going to die by the thousands, right? It's going to sound like something else. And so, anyway, what we do know now, um, and people have been on this apparently for months, I became aware of this yesterday, which is that Merck, which very conspicuously, another anomaly on the list, attacked the safety of its own drug, ivermectin, even though they One knew from four decades of work. Safest drug on the planet. Right, so that was an anomaly. Why would Merck say that its own drug was unsafe? Surely this is citing no evidence. Right, so, well, there, there is no, no evidence. evidence. Right, so why? Well, it turns out they have another drug headed rapidly for what? An EUA, right? So. What does the EUA require? It requires that there's no safe and effective therapy ex existing because if there was, you wouldn't take the risk mm. of fast forwarding this process. And so, and not only that, but they're also involved with Johnson and Johnson. They are partnered with Johnson and Johnson in producing their vaccines. So the point is, all right, we've got an anomaly. Why would Merck say things about its own drug that aren't true and that indicate that people should they're be afraid lying. to apply it when the precautionary principle would actually suggest that they have to apply it. Oh, absolutely. It, right? Well, <laughs> I don't know. It might have to do with the fact that their business, their portfolio of COVID therapies might. involves EUAs. Yeah, yeah. so, so, so um, these days, Possible. there are really rigorous terms and conditions that have been propagated all throughout academic medicine regarding disclosure of conflict of interest. And... Um, this specific situation clearly meets those criteria. You mean they didn't say they were developing an alternative drug in the press release that they issued about ivermectin not working, Robert? So, all right. Now let's yeah, just say... But, but look, I am sure that now that Tess Lowry's uh, systematic review and meta-analysis, which is the highest level of evidence in evidence-based medicine. So once this is published, and this can be published either today or tomorrow. Now you're, you're talking about her ivermectin. Her ivermectin, yes. yes. Okay. Right. So once this is published, I am sure that, uh, that Gavi will stop running those anti-ivermectin ads, that Google will refuse to run that, and that Google will change that the, the YouTube policy and they will restore all those vaccines. banned videos. This, this is, is the vaccine. vaccine. So I don't have, yeah. unfortunately, I don't have test Yes, no, no, it, it, but, it'll, it, but it will be published. Um, it, it's supposed to be out either today or tomorrow. So and, this is the and, vaccine. And I've been, I've been watching I'm, the, I'm sure that, the that meta-analysis that, that is being done semi-independently of her. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't... It's, this is crazy. You know, high hopes, folks. Three, we're, these are still, this is bedrock to understanding is, the bioethics. This is phase these three. These are still experimental products. This is phase three. That's why it's The emergency called. authorization did not require the collection of the requisite data to figure out whether or not it should go to phase four. Um, the data that are being collected are not being done in a rigorous fashion. And, it's, and basically, my colleagues are telling me they're extremely frustrated because they can't make heads or tails out of the data. Not only that, they can't, they have not, the public doesn't know how many people have died from, so, from, from the vaccine. I, want you, I want you to sketch the picture. Of course, we are obligated to err in the right direction, but what does this picture look like? How many people could you say we know have died and how many people might have died? And what does the distinction between those two numbers depend on? So in the VARES database, which is voluntary, they, the, the U.S. government commissioned a study to find out how much underreporting this is, and they estimate that it could be only 1% of the reports 
that are actually reported. So wait that a 99 out of 100 don't get reported, so let's which means 5,000 reports translates into 500,000 deaths. And okay. I don't think it's that high. Right. It's very okay. unlikely to be that It's high. unlikely that, you know, because, so right, you know, there are mortuaries would be, you know, over, right. over in court about well, whether or not be. you can prove it because no individual because death could be established on that really basis. Know. It took a long time to get to the point where what we Some all knew about the population level meant anything about what happened to the individual who died of lung cancer after a lifetime of smoking. Exactly. Right. So we are there. We are playing games with what's obvious from the data and what can be denied on the basis of fancy arguments and statistics. It's, it's hard to deny this. Yeah, and of is. course, and, 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 and I think this, this is a this is a great opportunity to segue to this uh, compilation from the UK. Yep. Of uh, ad. The UK has their own secret. That number adverse. is more deaths than for all seventy other vaccines combined, combined over, the over the last thirty years. years. Right. So that tells you something. Yeah, and all, and also the adverse effects. If you look at those. Not, it's not just the deaths right. that so, are so, everything. So which now, are really now, 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 now let's look at no, the No, wait. You can, please, let me finish, okay? Stop interrupting. All right. Thank We're you. good. Okay, wait. Okay, good. So the there are two aspects. That if you look at this vaccine in terms of deaths, it's more than all the other ones. If you look at it in terms of adverse events reported, it's also more than all the other vaccines over 30 years combined. Combine. So there's, if it's not, I'm okay. You know, look, if right, it's maybe. not, if it's, you know, we have a hypothesis yep. that because this toxic spike protein breaks off and goes into your brain and heart and all over and causes the, words, that's totally consistent with what we're observing. Yep. And if somebody has a better hypothesis in terms of what is causing this. Right. It's in the water, it's in the drinking supply, you know, or, whatever, look, whatever it say, is, what would the let's hear it. What would the dimension of we, the thing we, that we, explains it have to be? It would have to be something like someone put this in the data. Right, which would then not explain all of the people that we run into. Yeah, somebody, report. somebody so, overreported. Somebody's gaming the Vera system, for example. But that's a federal crime. You not only is it jail. not only is it a federal crime, but the fact is the anecdotal stuff that we can all detect by asking people around us. It, it says actually there's a real pattern. And guess what? The exact same pattern exists in the UK. So when I got this report, and and you look through it, look what look at all the symptoms here. Look at all the deaths in each of these categories and look at the breadth of this and it's two pages. So this is, you know, the first page, this is just the- This is bleeding, clotting, clotting. and ischemic adverse drug reactions up to the 26th of May. Right, and then the, the next page, and you know, look at, look at all these disorders that happen and then um, and it's now immune system. Immune system right. adverse drug I mean, reactions. We haven't even gotten to yeah. AD, Steve, Steve, and all the other can I ask a question? Yeah. Because many of these adverse events were already known with the recombinant adenovirus vectors, okay? The, we already, it's already been These well covered. before? What? No, no, it's, it's um, particularly the clotting disorders. Yeah. We've known for quite a while that they were associated. That's why the J&J &J vaccine was stopped. When you say quite a while, you mean since the release of these vaccines. In yeah, it's it, 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 like a couple months ago. Okay. We, remember we had a pause. Yeah. Right, which and, is, and, and why didn't, why wasn't he detected in the phase three studies? Well, oh. Phase three studies are supposed to be perfect. Okay, but, but you talk to an academic, I'm, I'm, they I'm always going, tell you phase three. I'm going somewhere you know. with this. Yeah. Okay. Steve, can you tell me this aggregated adverse event um, log that Tess has provided? Is this in the UK based on the yellow cards? Okay. Um, is this for all three vaccines? Yes. Or is, okay. It's a yellow card system. So, so what it's that all means is, is we need to be a little cautious. Because we don't know which of those three vaccines. By the COVID-19 vaccines. Next. And to anticipate and ameliorate medium to longer term effects. And I can tell you that Bruce Patterson, um, he's he's now, I mean, he specializes in long-haul COVID. So when you have the original. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, now he's getting patients who are coming to him with, I had, I never had COVID. Let me say this. I'm going to read this part because there's a graph, but then there's a information. This guy asked, he said, uh, the MHRA needs to answer these questions. And, you know, the CDC, any, anybody who, who knows who's got the numbers, we need to know. 
One, how many people died within 28 days of vaccination? Okay, like that nurse in Chattanooga, Tennessee, right? Two, how many people have been hospitalized within 28 days of vaccination? Three, how many people have been disabled by the vaccination? Not just Eric Clapton. Moving on. Oh, man, it's good stuff. Come on. Right in. There we go. And play. Those patients come to him, and in every single case, he looks at the blood work and he says, your blood work is abnormal. Your blood work looks like a long-haul COVID kind of it's different right because the vaccine you get it it goes all over your through your body like you know in 15 minutes it's like everywhere whereas you you get get naturally it has a different pathway and so the blood work looks different but the point is that it shows up on his biomarkers as you got long haul vaccine right now well i think it is it is becoming clear to clinicians that long haul covid covid and uh Post-vaccine syndrome are closely related oh, right? because absolutely. the protein is shared between all of these. That's, and that's, I think that's a, I would call that a valid working hypothesis yeah. for that association. Right. right. And nobody, nobody is even looking at this. I mean, that's the sad so, thing. So that that's, when, when you that's know, as a professional. Okay. So we're looking at all this. No, but as, a as a professional, nobody has looked at this. For, for, for me, <laughs> the thing that's alarming is that there's no alarm. Right. Oh, yes. Like, why <laughs> it, exactly. Like, why aren't alarm bells going off? 5,000 you know, so excess that's, deaths. That's, that's my why point. is nobody saying, it's almost like there's a... in academia? Why is no dean of a right. med school the thing like is... saying something? Like, they're all silent. They don't, look, they don't even know. The reason is they don't even look at the VAERS system. Because I know a guy. He's, he's vaccinated like a million people. Okay? Well, and I went to... Robert, I please let me let me finish, okay? Um, and because I know him and you don't, all right? All right, we're good. His organization go has vaccinated a million people. There we go. He is. Well, all right. Okay, I, I'm, I'm up for the perception. Yeah, all right, we're you know it's like I can't even. No, that's yeah, okay. It's like the go traffic ahead. cop here. Um, but I asked him. I said. So uh, and he says, oh, "Hey, I'm on the the uh, the the CDC calls every week." You know, because so, I'm one of their big, you know, vaccinators. And uh, so I said to him, so do you know how many people have died, have been killed by this virus? And he said, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really small. It's like 100. You mean the vaccine? Uh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. By oh. the, the, the vaccine. So really, really small. It's about 100. I said, really? They're telling you it's about 100? Because the V-safe system, it is not transparent at all to the public. You cannot search it at all. It is like this secret black box that nobody can see inside. Nor can my colleagues at the FDA that I just spoke with today. Who it's are like data analysis are, what, what are they hiding, Brett? Right. Well, what so, are they hiding? Again, so that we shouldn't be allowed to see that. We shouldn't be allowed to see. It. And in fact, I would argue. And why always... isn't even anyone asking? Why can't well, we see it? So, so this, is, this, is the, this is the problem. This is, uh, Heather and I did a, a segment on our last live stream, and our point was, actually, you know what? People do incredible science under conditions that are way harder than where you have a database or you have a laboratory, right? We do science in the Amazon, right? You can infer pattern in such a circumstance. You can test hypotheses. We do it all the time, and yet we are being held to the standard at the same time that the very data you would want to access is stored in a system that is impenetrable, right? So, so, yes, so can, I, can, I, can I kind of peck at that just a little bit? Because it's I'm going to trot out the bioethics argument. Sure. Okay. So they're currently experimental vaccines. One of the fundam- There's three fundamental bedrock principles in Western bioethics. One is full and complete disclosure of risks. Mm-hmm. One is ensuring full comprehension of risks by people that are going to be taking the experimental product. And one is willing consent. You've got to have those three. And the thing about this database not being a 
for outside query by responsible parties, which is what, by the way, any academic publication would require. If you were going to say to, in, in JAMA, you were going to say, um, we conclude based on our analysis of this uh, BeSafe database that the backs. Oh, yeah. Next. To express skepticism over things that one should obviously be skeptical about if one tries to gather with other people who are suffering the same symptoms. No, right? so there's a whole bunch of thou shalt not discuss this, that, or the other. It doesn't matter who you are. Which is unprecedented. It's unprecedented. So, but, but, but there's an explanation for it, okay? Sure there is. So, no, 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 because look, Mark Zuckerberg sent an email, and this is in the public domain now, where he said, he sent it to Tony Fauci, and he said, we will censor anything that goes against the narrative. I mean, essentially, that's what he said. Yep. Okay, so when you have a Facebook group of 70,000 people who are vaccine sufferers, that group disappears overnight. Yep. You, we have another Facebook group of COVID vaccine uh, side effects, 120,000 people disappears overnight. Yep. So how could you have, you know, like 200,000 people who are in these COVID vaccine side effect groups, like they would have nothing to talk about. Right. Because it's a perfectly safe vaccine. Like what were, we so don't even know what they were talking so about are, because are we it's broadcasting taken from, that from, no, from, no, from no, we're not. This is us. Good. Um, we, this, this is unprecedented. We have no uh, cognitive immune system to prepare us for this kind of shaping of what we can oh, see. Oh, people are, right? people, or what we, we can even are allowed to discuss. Well, this is, right. but this it's is so bad. normal. And so the point is we use our normal heuristics to figure out how dangerous something is and how, how dangerous right. it is would ordinarily be something you could detect by how frequently you encounter discussions of things that have gone wrong. But if those discussions aren't allowed to be had, then oh, the point is if you artificially have the sense that this is very safe. And so, you know, again, it's an anomaly. Now, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm being naive, but I don't think that, you know, Twitter and Facebook were in the meeting in which something was decided that it was going to be fine for thousands of people. No, they're just buying like, into, because it's suppressed, they're buying into the well, whole I, thing. I that, think, Robert, please, let me, let me can I, I, can I, I finish? I may have to use... I have never broken this out before, but we are going to be very careful, all right? We are going to be nice to each other, and that thing is going to... Yeah. <laughs> you this have is... just gotten a foul. That oh, you have sorry. Yeah. What? Oh, 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 sorry. You have to give it to me. Right. I, I, I thought I was supposed to take... I was warning you. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, that's a warning. I thought yes. it was who's got the ball, who can speak. No, I no. I thought it was like the, the chip. No, but you, but you got the floor. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. Um, so I did a, a test. I went to a vaccine line in my local pharmacy. And I said, hi, I'm th thinking about getting the vaccine, but I've heard some things that some people have died. Does anybody know how many people have died from the vaccine? Because I'm, I'm not sure what to believe. So one woman says, oh, I believe in God. And God says that I should go and take the vaccine. And then another guy says, are you an anti-vaxxer? Well, and it's like you cannot even raise even a question. In fact, I asked people on next door. Um, I put up a poll I to say, right, to say how many people, you know, oh, there's this posting on trial site news. How many people believed it? And, you know, 10 people responded. Five said, yep, totally believe it. And the other five said, totally bullshit. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was it wasn't anywhere in between. I gave them like five levels and it was either you thought it was total bullshit or you totally believed it. It's, it's and it was censored. Yeah. The, 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 the poll was censored by, by Nextdoor like hours later. And, and so you can't even ask people the question. And when I asked the pharmacist, I asked the pharmacist, so do you know how many people have been killed by this virus? And she says, vaccine. Well, no, sorry, yeah, by the vaccine, thank you. Um, she says, um, actually, I don't. And it's almost like she never even thought that it's an issue because she, they're so programmed to think that the, that the vaccine <laughs> is safe and effective that your mind shuts off to the possibility that, you know, and, and, and if you have a, an, an abortion, you can't even think that it could have been caused by the safe and effective vaccine. Spontaneous. It's, it's like, it's, a, it's an, you know, so, yeah. So, yeah. this is again in my area oh, my of expertise. Word. 
there is something about the, you know, your poll, small as it was, reveals Jeez. that there's something very unnatural about people's conclusions about how likely this is to be safe. You would expect a range, right? You would expect some outliers who think it's incredibly dangerous, yeah, it was, and you would it, expect some people to think it's perfectly safe, and you would expect a whole lot in between. But our environment yeah, basically kind of like has... Yeah, a bell curve. It was, it's the total opposite. Right. We're divided into teams, and the teams are basically repelled by each other out of disgust. Right? Oh, so yeah, this, no, absolutely. So this, uh, the sense, and this is something that we have faced on this channel from the beginning. Article to trial site Thanks. news. I had a, a scientific advisory board of 14 academics, very high-power academics. All of them resigned like three days later saying that what I was doing, it was irresponsible, that it will cause vaccine hesitancy. I should take it down. They don't want to associate it with, with me anymore, and don't email me ever again. Was there any substantive no, and I, um, and, uh, this, this is the thing that I find most troubling, frankly, mm -hmm. and it's, much of it is coming from the academic community. I, I call it, you know, self-appointed academic policemen. Oh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I go on Clubhouse, and I show up in a room, and I, 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 and I say, well, I like to talk. Well, the moderators like shut me down, and and I and I then I, I challenge them. I say, hey, let's go to a private room, or let's go off on Twitter. You know, I claim that you're wrong about ivermectin. Let's go off. And so the moderator says, well, I can't go, but I'll appoint someone. So I go off with this guy um, on 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 Twitter, and um, he DMs me, and he says, show me your evidence. And I said, I gave him the the the, the web link to Tess's. Uh, uh, Meta-analysis. Meta so he says, oh, that's a web link. I want the study. You know, and so, okay, well, so here's the link that's in the study. So I give it to him. And he says, um, okay, well, I have to study this. And I say, okay. Um, and, and it's clear he has never looked at a, a systematic review before <laughs> because he didn't ask for the protocol that they use. And normally right. you would go and do that. And so... And then, so I said, um, uh, he comes back and he says, well, how were those studies, uh, uh, you know, how did they, sh I said, I guess you've never done this before because you would be asking for the entire protocol, which you didn't ask for, which was on the webpage that I gave you in the beginning. So the point is that these people who are these self-appointed police don't even know what they're policing. Right, and they're, then they're and when I wrote him and I told him, hey, you know, Tess's uh, thing is coming out on the, on, it, it is, is peer-reviewed. And you, you can't get any better than a peer-reviewed meta-analysis that's the highest. And so I said, you have to go and accept that. And the precautionary principle says you should use it on your patients now. Silence. Right. So, so again, the thing, that, the thing you should detect at the end of this is not all of the text in the middle. It's that at the end of the day, what's being said doesn't add up, right? If you believed the data was all that ambiguous, you'd still give a safe drug because you don't have an alternative. Absolutely. We're, we're literally sending people home without treatment, where they go and sicken the people that they live with, when there's a perfectly safe it's worse, drug. It's worse than that. Go we're, for it. we're sending them home, and we're saying, don't come back until your lips are blue. Until right. you're sick. Right. And, and no, it's, it's, no it's, not, it's not sick. Okay? It's hypoxic. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that your, That's sick. your blood oxygen is so, no, sick is, you know, I've got a oh, headache, okay, okay. I've got okay. a fever, and yeah. sorry, my, my sorry to nitpick, different than your sick. but, but, but this is, this is uh, turning the dial up on sick. Yeah. This is, this yeah. is, yeah. this is pretty severe is, sick. They you, had you a very safe, yeah. very well you, might you, not know, you, you, you have to get oxygen now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, lips, but, lips are blue equals oxygen saturation of high eighties. Okay. That's way sick. Yep. So, okay. and, so, and. And our policy is, you know, despite all the data that you and others have championed, you have personally funded, which I acknowledge that commitment. I think that's super important for the audience to understand, is for you, this isn't just talk. You walk the walk. You took your wallet and you said fluvoxamine study at WashU, one of the top universities in the United States. You funded it. So when you talk about the fluvoxamine study, it's not just that you pulled something out of the air. You enabled it. You provided leadership. Okay, so all those data are out there. And yet, the current public policy is, if you come into my hospital and you've got all the signs and symptoms and you've got a PCR diagnosis and you feel sick enough with COVID that you feel like you've got to go to the ER and the ER tells you, I'm sorry, Mrs. Smith, we don't 
we're not going to take you in because your blood oxygen saturation levels are not at critical levels and you need to go home and just incubate. Without giving you a drug that would almost certainly make you better and without giving it to your family so you don't sicken them. We are actually so, behaving in a way that propagates the pandemic. Right, so, it's, so it's let, me, let, me, let me tell you. It is, it, I, think, I think we can all agree that the behavior is bizarre. This is so. Yeah. Especially <laughs> when we know, like um, uh, George Farid and Brian Tyson, they have a little commute, they have a little practice. It is unthinkable what about they're George, doing. Uh, 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 Farid and, and, and Brian Tyson, we, they don't even exist because dollars are anecdotes. Right. Right. Now, we, we ignore the frontline physicians who are having success. So this, we don't go and, and find out, oh, you know, why isn't the NIH this, saying, hey, this guy has a hundred percent, you know, I think track just, record. He just said something that's super important. Okay. 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 Oh, finally. <laughs> no, no, you said a lot of things that are super okay. important, but I want to highlight that one. You emphasize frontline physicians. And yeah, this is, this has been my observation. It's like dealing with this community intensively since January of 20. They only trust these double-blind randomized controlled trials well, that take a year to do. It's, it's crazy. And in, in, uh, typically require 20 million or more to do. Well, yeah. Okay. So, or a billion dollars right. in the case of what but, Merck but is guys, asking let me, for. Can I, can, I, can I get the little yellow card? You want I, a, I, I, I ask for the floor. All right. Um, oh, the, and the I just want to make a... and they're driven by the need to, to give their patients some option. I just wanted to amplify that. Thanks for letting so, right, me have so, that. Let me give the counterpoint to that when you give it to me. Okay, okay. so the docs on the ground are in a position to see this. They are in a good position, at least with respect to ivermectin, because it's so safe, right? If you don't believe it's any good, but it might be, you can give it to a few patients. And if you see a signal, then you can give it to more patients. If you can get it. If you can get it. Which but you can't get it in, the in, pushback, in Canada. The pushback is incredible, right? Is the stigmatization of doctors, the punishment of doctors is... But you also, you make a really good point in, in your document, right? Which is that doctors who have a number of patients below a certain threshold- Never see anything bad. What they see are anecdotes, right? And so you need a practice of a certain size before you see anything you're gonna regard as a signal. 600 or more, now, 900. That wouldn't matter so much if the doctors were in a position to encounter each other online and say, you know, I had the weirdest yeah, thing Yeah, they won't happen. talk about it. And the point is the stigma for talking about it in public, I can't tell you, this is driving the me paramedics crazy. won't talk about it they see all the, the professionals in all of the related disciplines the number of people who will say to you well actually here's what i'm seeing but i'd really rather not because right, you know I get, what get fired. if i do i get fired right and the point is uh, that's a signal in and of itself right that is a Damn. signal that some i can that's that, some that, that's phenomenon does not want this discussed and frankly again if, if you imagine because it's a lie the very least, and it's right? satanic you know it's evil they don't want the lie safe. getting exposed an excellent treatment that is extremely safe those are both ivermectin right then we've got fluvoxamine which crosses the blood-brain barrier so it gets to some place the brain fog and all that right. and long-haul COVID. right these things that's a pretty good kit to deal with this pandemic it's a it's a good kit for ending this pandemic. right and, and what we have is Oh, ending the pandemic. that it's related, but it's certainly conspicuous. The only hypothesis I can think of that we have financial interests of, you know, private corporations that involve these excellent treatments not being available in order to try experimental stuff that's, that's uh, in not order, In order to try. I wanted to point out something cryptic. Experiment. Right, you said it's going to cost 20,000 bucks to do a randomized, no, 20 million bucks, sorry, what did I say? Um, 20 million bucks. That's not a small amount of money. So when somebody online, whoever they are, whoever, however well-intentioned they are, whatever degree they may have, when they say, really, the only thing that's going to convince me that I should risk my patient's life with ivermectin, which is, of course, an insane assertion that there's any risk at all, really. It, depending on, so long as you keep the dose right. within the safe range. Within the range that we know to be safe, right? Of course, there's some risk, but... Like all drugs. Right, the problem is... But, but with ivermectin... The risk profile is extremely well known, 
It's been out there for decades. 40 years, 4 billion doses already delivered. Just so. Right. So here's the point. When you, as a warrior on Twitter, start battling for, hey, I'm a science person. I want to see the randomized controlled trial before I give patients any risk at all for ivermectin. What you're effectively doing is, is you, are, you are a warrior on behalf of new and less well-known drugs that are still under patent and against drugs that are old and out of patent because who's going to pony up the $20 million for something they can't make a profit For something on. they can't make a profit so I live, that I live their EUA. I live this, okay? I set up a company, um, Etheric Pharmaceuticals for Zika, and I work closely with the DOD and developed a portfolio of drugs, repurposed drugs, many of which are now being applied to COVID because they're antivirals, okay? I went bankrupt. The investment community had zero interest because there's no way to make a buck, okay? Uh, you're right, you're, uh, you're oh, fundamentally okay, right. Okay, can I just say Finish, please? Okay. Um, so we, we reached out yep. to all these drug manufacturers. Usually we would get no response at all and the ones that we that we did, and I won't say who they were, but you know, thank you for responding. Was, yeah, you know, look, we can't really come up with a financial justification to get involved. And I said, I'll pay for all your expenses, you know, I'll cover all your costs. Yeah, we just don't want to do it. So I can't even mm. even if I had their phase three trial that they need, which I do have now. Yeah. Um, they still would, I still would not be able to get an EUA on a repurposed drug. Yeah, so so I, I have a, a thought here. You, you tell me, actually, you're the expert on whether they're domestic yes. animals. There are domestic animals that catch it. I don't know of any domestic animals that transmit it. Now, if I'm wrong about that, I'm wrong about that. But I, and, uh, No, I don't know that you're right or wrong. What I know is that to detect that signal would be really tough. Yeah, but here's the thing. The mink ferret signal? Not That's tough. Clear. We've right. seen that one. So right. here's the question. Is there room for some kind of gorilla research effort where ferrets... I mean, imagine you've got 2,000 ferrets. But why do you need to do a gorilla research? Because what you want is the quick and dirty uh, uh, randomized controlled trial that demonstrates the effectiveness, the safety, and doesn't cost the 20 million bucks. So there are, there are ways to do that. Right. Well, I mean, it's like the Ceftel trial, right? Instead of having the rigor of a IRB approved randomized controlled trial, when David Ceftel did his study, it was like, hey, I got two options for you. You choose, let me document that and I'll publish the results. Well, if, he, if you do that, a thousand times, you know, oh. if there are a hundred physicians that do the same thing and they publish the same result, do you really need a randomized controlled oh, trial? Believe me, I think the signal here is such a slam dunk. But it's a hundred percent effects size. But, but we're no. we're now we're, we're so what you're talking about is building a new animal model. Well, no, I'm talking about the fact that a because ferrets and minks, which are very close relatives, that's why this is true, have a human-like ACE2 receptor, right? Which is if this was the product of research in Wuhan, this is probably why they would have used ferrets, is because it's a laboratory available animal that has the appropriate receptor in order to create a human infection. And it's universally virus. used for influenza vaccine research, for example. Okay. So readily available, you can order them. Um, so all I'm saying is that that is a ready-made model for COVID and that therefore anything that we need to demonstrate, I mean, look, you, you have 2,000 ferrets, okay? Yeah, the easy, the easy way to experiment and see if it's safe. Why didn't they do that? The half of the treatment, ivermectin, you then expose them to COVID. My guess is you're going to find out that they don't get sick. The ones that aren't treated with, that aren't protected with COVID do get sick. And then you take those that got COVID and you divide them in half, right? And you treat those that got COVID with ivermectin or a placebo. And voila, we're going to know everything we need to know from that experiment. Man, but why wasn't it done? Exactly. It was supposed to come in right before the WHO determination, yep. and it didn't come in because this is how it is with clinical trials. Sometimes you get the enrollment that you want. It's turning out to be wicked hard to enroll trial trials with COVID. It just is. Well, WHO doesn't have any outpatient trials, um, which is another problem. They're not WHO trials. So there are um, uh, trials, large trials pending, Andy Hill tells me, um, and uh, we discussed at length about what he was going to disclose and when publicly, and 
Uh, together we made a decision, it's his decision, I was just counseling him, to just stop releasing in interim results and wait for these large trial results and they're scheduled to come in about September. Now, no, the, w, the WHO already knows that ivermectin works. We already have. There's never been a case where a peer-reviewed, systematic review and meta-analysis <coughs> has been overturned because I asked an expert in this area and I said, hey, what happens if you, know, you have the, the top level of evidence and you have one systematic review that says it works and you have another one that says it causes harm, then, then how do you resolve the, 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 that? And, and she says, well, that's never happened in history, so we don't have to worry about that. So, you know, you're, you're advising the WHO to wait is, is counter to... I'm not advising the WHO, oh, okay. I'm advising Andy Hill, who's okay. now okay. at well, the same position. Yeah, but, but now there's, it, it's, it's a moot point, okay? Because we now oh. have this peer-reviewed... We, we agree, it is a moot point. Ivermectin, it clearly works, right? The signal is overwhelmingly clear. It's done. And the people who are saying it isn't clear enough don't make sense because their next sentence is we shouldn't prescribe it until we have better evidence when in fact because it's a safe drug and because the evidence in their mind is not clear you should prescribe it and see if it works because the alternative you're, you're, is you're being, you're being a hypocrite if you're saying hey oh I subscribe to evidence-based medicine and I believe and and I believe in the triangle and this is the way it's done and then they don't do it. Right. They don't it's, walk it's the talk. It's preposterous. It's, it's, it's an anomaly, and it seems to it yeah, seems to anomaly. match the incentives of a corporation that's got two EUAs in play. And you want you know, you know, my potentially a lot of money to be made. My grandfather would call them a sea sucker. Pandemic, and we have to get lots of. So I just like to add one. Or a D head. <laughs> um, in the in the roster hey, of, I want you to do it. I don't want that guy over there to do it. You know, he's a one that comes up often is that these small studies that have been done across the world in various sites independently um, are not peer-reviewed and published. And the mm -hmm. log I want to add on the fire is, because, is that it's become wicked hard to get anything through peer review involving repurposed drugs, mm -hmm. which is why I set up that whole special edition of Frontiers in Pharmacology for repurposed... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have a study where you claim that the repurposed drug doesn't work. So then we, you can we get call a that a, We call that a negative, that? a negative reporting bias, and I think there is a number of instances that is uh, that support. You know, there's the classically there's a positive reporting bias that the right. negative studies never get published. Right. right. No, Here it's This is the opposite of your We're, classic p hacking story. Right. We have we have currently some pretty strong evidence that the script is been flipped. Yeah, bam, what'd you say? Which is, it is Another data a priori point. evidence <laughs> of some kind of corruption of the system, right? Or, or it's just an anecdote. Well, checkmate. Corruption of the system. That is... That. He says, well, let me check that. that so he correct. calls the guy just to verify that I was telling him the truth. And then he says, yeah, but we're not going to do it. We're, and I said, well, why? You know, here are all the papers. Here's all the justification. Why would you not do this? And he said, well, we're just not gonna do it. We convinced the patient not to accept that therapy. And it's like, here you go and you give them the treatment on a silver platter. Right. And yeah. they say, no, we're not gonna do it. And it's the same thing for ivermectin, right? When, when people have gone to court to force doctors to give ivermectin and the hospital doesn't so wanna sad. do it because if the hospital gives a, a, a drug which has not been approved by the NIH, they are liable if something happens. Right. Because if they follow what the NIH says, then they're clean of liability. So the hospital... They'll kill people just so they won't get liability. Can you can you, you so hear what's going enough on? enough bias in this system to shut down anything generic, cheap, and safe, and to amplify things that are dangerous, new, still under patent, Can't and, understand it's, it. and it's multifactorial. Right, it's multifactorial. Now, here's the thing I forgot. I'll come back up with it. Um, the, I was talking to Pierre Corey about this. There's something that bugs me about what doctors once were and what they've become. And my sense is doctors, you know, I used the example of frontier doctors when I was talking to him. Frontier doctors had a lot fewer tools at their disposal. Frontier psychiatrists, maybe? What could be done, a lot fewer drugs. 
right? But what they had was the ability to interact with patients. You know, the house call led you to see the context in which somebody was sick, led you to see the pattern of sickness in a neighborhood, right? There are all kinds of things that you might detect. Classical diagnosis. Right, and the point is doctors were scientists, right? They may have been informal scientists, but they were in a position to experiment and tinker and you give the patient Make something. Hypothesis. And it's right, it doesn't really test work. Hypothesis. And then you've got something's bugging you in the back of your mind that actually this looks more like that. And so you try the thing that works on that and lo and behold, the person gets better. That kind of scientific doctoring is shut down by exactly the processes you're talking about. The, li the, 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 the liability sensitivity. Insurance companies trying to run our lives. Yeah, the FDA. And kill us, really. Uh, you know, checklists are on high. All of these things are resulting in the information that would be screaming at us. If each doctor was having the same patients and, you know, they sit down at lunch with the, their buddy and they say, you know, I've got this patient. I don't know what to do. Oh, I had one of those. And here's what I did. And it worked. And then, you know, the point is it wouldn't spread. It's, there, it's not only that it's shut down structurally, but the new wrinkle now is communication about it is forbidden. Right. It prevents the natural accumulation of and, information. And, yeah, that people, would make people, people, and people Gee, why would you want to do that? Yeah. Unless you were trying to like, kill and depopulate the planet. So he says, okay, fine. I'll use it in my practice. It'll be if you're over 65, you have multiple risk factors, and you have uh, symptoms, and you know you're in bad shape. Then only then will I use it. And it's this is like, are you kidding me? Right? You're supposed to use it as soon as the patient presents. Right. And you're supposed to use it e even. You should be even using it on kids because I mean the tragedy is that I there, there's a doctor I know that said, oh, you're a kid. I'm not going to give you anything. Well, you know, fluoxetine is really you know. <clears throat> A very mild drug, and what happened is that uh, the 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 seventeen-year-old uh, developed uh, Tourette's syndrome as a result of the long-haul COVID, and had and so this doctor said, "Okay, I learned my lesson. I am going to treat even the kids." And so you know you have the physicians who are like, "Oh, can't do any harm. I'll only treat you if you're necessary." Right. But this is a virus. You always treat viruses. Early, Quickly, it's yeah. like it's like if you had a fire right here on your laptop, you'd, you'd be like, like this. A randomized controlled trial like, like, to see if water no, would help. Right? No, no, no. But you take the glass of water and put out the fire. You wouldn't like wait and wait and wait and wait. Oh yeah, it's really big now. Right. You all call the fire department. All right. I want to push back in one place. Okay. okay? And it's not serious pushback. I think right. what you found is right. I'm compelled. We've got multiple drugs that work. Bingo. Okay. I'm a little nervous about fluvoxamine because it's an SSRI, and so I know it's going to have cognitive implications. Not not in 14 days. Maybe not. But the point is, I'm a little cautious about it because I know it's interacting with systems that we ideally would like not to. Don't mess don't with. don't uh, yeah don't don't take coffee when you're taking fluvoxamine. Okay, but, but here's my point, right? <laughs> We've got a drug that seems to have no serious interactions with other systems, and so it should be your go-to first. Mm -hmm. If you've got fog, maybe fluvoxamine no, no, no. is the go-to. Uh, no, no, right? no, no. And the reason for that is that this, you're, you're thinking that this virus should be tr treated, you know, tenderly and gingerly, and let's only put, you know, remember David Ho? You remember David Ho, right? AIDS, the guy that came oh, up yeah, with yeah. multi-drug combinations for AIDS. It's and this early is actually triggered and hard. The, the, and and the so the point, point is that COVID mm -mm. is so deceptive. It's not it's not the right analogy, and here's why. Okay. okay. Here's why. Because the the problem with AIDS was as a uh, a retrovirus, you had an impossibly fast rate of evolution. And so the reason you hit it with three drugs is that it can't evolve in three directions at once, yeah. right? And so the point is, it's like, you know, one of these military things where you've got guns on three islands and it, it stifles the enemy. In this case, there's no evidence that I'm aware of that there's actually any evolution away from the kind of protection you get from ivermectin. And so the point so, is, if ivermectin works... I will, I will, no, 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 here's, here's, okay, so here's my counter argument. Okay, I, Robert, you can go next, okay. So my counter argument is this. So let's let's take an anecdote, okay? Let's take um, uh, Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew, he's a doctor. He know he knows what he's doing. He's, he's, he got COVID, and he went for the um, the monoclonal. He got it early, and he went for ivermectin. Mm -hmm. wait, okay. Wait, 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 wait. He went for the monoclonal, and he went for ivermectin. Yeah. Okay, that's that was his treatment. Didn't do fluoxamine at all. Guess what happened to him? 
Well, I'm trying to figure out whether there's any reason to expect. I don't think that the monoclonal is going to interact with the ivermectin. No, it doesn't. Both point no, the same it, thing. It, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. Because the I think the antiviral for for ivermectin is, is is fairly modest. But okay. So he took those two drugs. Yeah. Guess what happened? He kept getting sick. No. He well he ended up with. So, that concludes this episode. Uh, just had to get this information out there. It's very important to know what is going on besides the atrocities in Afghanistan, which are also very important. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. It's been Cooter. We'll catch you next time.